The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. All right, hey, welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey. I'm here with uh, Bart Hansen. We're on the road today. We're actually... Uh we're in West Sac, West Sacramento, for those of you uh, outside of California. That aren't cool enough to know, now you know. Aren't, not exactly right. <laughs> and we are at uh, Harmeyer Wine Cellars with Craig Harmeyer. Uh, I was just telling Bart, or I was telling Craig, that um, I got a bottle of this at Bottle Bar in the Chenin Blanc and, um, and showed it to Bart because, you know, Bart's in a Chenin Blanc. And uh, he was like, oh, we got to go talk to Craig. We got to make a road trip up to uh, West Sac. That's that's uh, when I first heard the term West Sac. So not like I'm very cool either. Yeah, I and and Craig and I met there uh, at a. It was a holiday lunch Chenin Blanc group a number right. of years ago. Right. And um, uh, ever since, and then through the power of social media and and the fact that we all make or a small amount of us make Chenin Blanc, uh, you, yep. you get to know someone without actually meeting them or without actually hanging out with them. True. And uh, and I think it was you that um, coined the term uh, Hella Shannon, right? Well, I can't take credit for that. No, I, huh? I think it was it was one of uh, it was one of we were doing them every year, the thing that Tegan put together, which you just mentioned where where you and I met. Right. Um, and I don't know if you were at this meeting or not. It might have been a year or two before I met you, but it was our first kind of meeting there, you know, uh, several people like um, um, Leo Hansen was there and Rorick was there. Um, I think, yeah, Nathan Candler was there too. Uh, who else? Anyway, we were sitting around, get ready to sit down and pop bottles and we're trying to figure out what what we might call this little group that, that meets annually and you know, there are different things like... Uh, what was one of them? N double C A P, Northern California Shannon advocates and producers. I think right, nice. right. And then Tegan blurted out, "Hello, Shannon." Yeah. And so, I uh, you know did something for Instagram and that I, I use that hashtag and I use it quite a bit, as you know. So yeah, everybody thinks I coined it, but I I, I didn't. It's really that's Tegan's phrase. So. Okay. Well, cheers to Tegan. Yeah. <laughs> We can so, blame a lot of this on him. Anyway. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Including where we're sitting right now, right? You know? Um, true. Part of this is... Uh, true. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, Bart, Bart, set a stage for us. Um, like, well, so we're, we're, we're in West Sacramento um, in, quite frankly, a very industrial zone. Um, you can hear uh, trucks going by in the background a little bit, possibly. Um, I know there was a hydraulic shop down the street. Um, I think there's a shipping company next door. Yep, and then there's this long kind of slender building that's full of winemaking equipment. Yeah, and I got um, some cool pics that I'll post on, uh, yeah. on our site. And and um and so can you tell us? Maybe you should start with the history of um, Harbor Winery because that's what this started off as, right? Right, right. Yeah, uh, Charles Myers owned and operated Harbor Winery for decades. He started out making wine like many of us did at home in his basement, and uh, he and Daryl Cordy were were good friends. Daryl kind of, I think, pushed him 
uh, into this commercially. Mm. So he made wine for a couple of years, uh, and then he ended up buying the building, and and uh, it became a bonded winery in 1972. Uh, his last vintage was 2004. What is the bonded winery number? Uh, it's like 4,580. Okay. It's something like that. Yeah. So it's a higher number. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so he focused on 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 Zin, Cab, Chardonnay, Semillon, and he made uh, probably arguably one of his more uh, well-known wines was a Mission del Sol, which is like an Angelica, no fortification. He just kept adding juice slowly, slow, long fermentation, and actually we bottled part of part of closing down that operation. Uh, after Charles passed away, was to, was to bottle the last couple wines. So, um, the '86 Mission del Sol, uh, Daryl bought all of it, and he put together the blend. So he went through and told us what barrels he wanted racked, and that was 1986 vintage. So it was 27 years in barrel. So okay, you had to go back a little bit. Um, uh, you <coughs> stuck that right in on us on the Angelica and. Um, I, I, I know of Angelica being something that's fortified, um, but tell me, tell us more about this process and maybe if you don't mind, explain the variety or the wine for some people. Cause I would say a lot of people don't know about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, you probably will be hearing about it a little bit more. There's a little bit more interest in it, but it's made from the mission grape, yeah. which is, which is few and far to be found. Right. I mean, there's not much. Yeah, there's around. not, there's not a lot of it. Um, and so he worked with this. In the foothills, there are a couple, a couple spots for it. Deaver is one of them. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure where this, where the Mission del Sol came from, grapes for that. But uh, basically, uh, he just kept adding fresh juice, and it just fermented low and slow for a very long time. So every year he added fresh juice. Throughout the year, yeah. Throughout the year, mm-hmm. so keep mm-hmm. it frozen. Or I, that's a good question. I don't know what his what his actual yeah, process was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I know um, one time I was up in Oregon and um, oh darn, I'm not going to remember the name of the winery, but th- they talked about how they would freeze juice in large <coughs> stainless steel mm-hmm, tanks mm-hmm. and then ferment it as they needed it through the year. And I always kind of found that somewhat fascinating. Yeah. Of course, they put huge amounts of SO2 in it also. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, okay, so um, go on back to uh, to uh, converting. I think we were at converting this, to, uh, shutting down a Harbor Winery, and yeah. So I just helped them. You know, they had a, a bit of help uh, from friends, and uh, so I, I mainly just uh, got the last two wines into bottle. Okay, for and, them. And you were a home winemaker, or had you worked for other wineries? I worked for other wineries. Okay. Yeah. This getting the last stuff in bottle was just a couple of years ago. Okay, got it. When we were when we were ready to uh, start this uh, our project all over again. On okay. Our own, so okay, so um, so then let's talk a little bit about your background as far as um, where you you know kind of took up winemaking <coughs> and like, any places that you'd like to talk about where you worked or. Um, <clears throat> well, I came really late to this. Uh, I grew up in my parents' restaurants. Uh, all through high school, my parents opened one of the first tasting rooms in Sacramento. I think it was 1977. They opened up a tasting room above one of their one of their restaurants. That was an early education for me. Pour, whose wines were wine. they pouring? You know, the only thing the only thing that stands out in my mind, I can just see the Heights label. Oh wow! 
you know, so yeah. I think there was probably a California focus. And what kind of food in the restaurants? That was, that restaurant was kind of like a delicatessen. Okay. So they did fine charcuterie and cheese. And, and then you could go upstairs and, mm-hmm. and taste some wine. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, I was how old? 13, 14? Yeah. So I came up through my parents' biz, uh, business like that, and then I went off to art school. And um, as an undergraduate living in San Francisco in an apartment, you know, I wanted to make something, so we started brewing. And we did that for quite some time. And then when I was in graduate school, one of my professors, uh, Gerald Wahlberg, uh, taught at Sac State. I went through the master's program at Sac State. And um, every Friday night, we would meet at his house and talk wine and talk art and drink wine, eat. And so I kind of saw that. Yeah, I was essentially home winemaking, but on a large scale. Mm-hmm. And so then I realized, oh, you know, I'm, I, I'd really like to make wine. And that's really what I always wanted to do. And I shied away from it because I just figured, you know, this, you're born into that. You don't just get to choose to do that. Right. <clears throat> Maybe if I had lived 90 miles west, I'd have a different attitude. But right. Then I was thinking, well, you know, other people make wine. Right. Uh, That's for other people to do. I can maybe make it as a hobby, but not professionally. And then right after grad school is when I started helping out here during harvest uh, at Harbor Winery. So I got my first taste of commercial winemaking. I saw what was going on here. I'm like, holy smokes, I could do this. Yeah, yeah. Well, what was production like at that time? Uh, Charles really didn't spend a ton of money on on equipment and stuff. Um, He was very inventive. Uh, made do with what little he had. He did have a forklift. He, he bought a used uh, Vosland screw press, a 70s-era horizontal screw press, yeah. which we used here for our first two vintages, 16 yeah. and 17. Um, he, had these, he had an ancient de-stemmer uh, and an old, an old must pump. <laughs> How do you classify ancient? <laughs> I don't know. It's made out of steel. It, um, it probably wasn't stainless. It no, was, it's you not probably stainless. Had to paint it yeah, with, it was painted. Um, yep. Yeah, with an epoxy. Yep. Yeah. So, wow. who, so who knows? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Fifties, forties. Nice. Six. I don't know. It's pretty beaten up. A lot of it is uh, still like, working, though, right? It works. Yeah, you plug it yeah. in, it'll turn on. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it doesn't <laughs> doesn't work for me. <laughs> it does a better job in the corner somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So. And he had a bunch of dairy, and we still have the dairy tanks. Um, we used a couple of those, our first, our first vintage here, too, because we just didn't have anything. Right. Um, and we started fermenting our Chenin Blanc uh, all in barrel simply because we didn't have anything else right. to ferment in. So that, so Charles The story of the small winemaker. Yeah, right? so, Charlie, and so Charlie made uh, Semillon and uh, Chardonnay. Not a lot of it, and I can see why, because... You know, there's no climate control. We have better climate control than, than, than he did. We plugged up all the holes and put up a bunch of insulation. And, but it was pretty rudimentary. Uh, you know, everything fermented in open-top tanks. And, um, and where was the pumice was just piled up outside in the backyard. And <laughs> Where did he know. source his fruit from? Kind of the, uh, <clears throat> the Delta area and the foothills? or uh, It was mostly foothills and some Napa stuff. Okay, okay. Like, yeah, a couple of vintages of Faye Vineyard Cabernet, Yeah, yeah. actually. Really? Yeah, and, and that's something. Um, and um, Livermore, the Semillon was from Livermore. 
and uh, Mission from Foothills, Zinfandel from from Deaver. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of other sources. Clock Spring Vineyard, I know he he worked with a bit. And is Deaver is is Amador? Amador. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brian, you know that. Yeah. And how yeah. close? How close are we from here? If you had to drive to Amador County, um, you hit the edge of the county. How close are we? Edge of uh, thirty miles. Okay. Something yeah, like not that. far at all. Yeah. 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 So actually, uh, so a little bit of a little bit more history on on Harbor. Um, Charles got some attention posthumously, or was it? Maybe he was still alive. Uh, you know, there's been a little bit of writing uh, about it, but he and Daryl Cordy are um, partially, at least, credited with shining a light on on uh, Zinfandel in, in the foothills. So in 1965, Charlie made uh, a, a Zinfandel. It was a uh, far cry from what we typically see now. It's much lighter. Right. And um, Daryl Cordy was impressed by it, and so he put together a meeting uh, where they drank this wine and, and ate in the vineyard. And um, I, apparently, from what I hear, that's where Bob Trinquero saw this and decided he was going to start get you know sourcing fruit there right wow so this guy is credited with kind of like first shining the light to you know kind of revisit uh, rediscover this this area yeah yeah that's awesome that's awesome <clears throat> yeah because we're we're how close to the delta right now stones throw the yeah. port the port of sacramento is just on the other side of the freeway yeah yeah we crossed some sort of uh Oh, did we cross a bridge to get over here? We did. The the, well, we were on the causeway. Yeah. Okay. And then if we would have kept going on 80, we would have went over the American River arm, right? Just past the exit. We we took the... Um, yeah, so 80 splits off. So you one of them crosses Sacramento River, the other one... Right. Well, no, they both cross the Sacramento River. Oh, it, that is that is the Sacramento yeah, there. Yeah, five it's crosses the American. Lines. The American... Oh, five, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Delta is just right here. If you take a five-minute drive, uh, you'll completely forget about this industrial area. It's just like it's just night and day. Yeah. 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 Clarksburg is uh, 10 miles away or something, down mm-hmm. a, down some... Uh, mm-hmm. I think the AVA starts less than that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, four or five miles down the road. Huh. And you poured a couple of, Sh- a couple of Shenans for us. What was the first one that you poured? The one on the Shiner. Yeah, yes. that's um, our 2017 Borden Ranch. That is um, near the little town of Harold. Um, Gerald Cresci planted this in 1981, so we call it Cresci. Uh, the Palmeros bought the vineyard a couple of years ago after he passed away, so it's Palmero Family Vineyard. But we uh, we just called the wine Cresci to honor Gerald and his efforts. So this is our newly bottled uh, seventeen. And and can yeah. you where whereabouts if more <coughs> broadly where is that located? Is that is that a is that a Clarksburg appellation or is that a? It's Lodi. It's Lodi. The sub appellation is Borden Ranch. Oh, Borden Ranch is the okay. Well, is uh, the sub ABA it. and it's actually so far north. Um, it's Sacramento County. Okay. All right. So if you're in Sacramento, you head south on 99. Right. And, and um, 
just when you cross the Kasumnas River a, a mile or so later, there's Twin Cities Road, and you head east. And so are, you're starting to gain some elevation there, right? Uh, a bit. There's some rolling hills there. Right. So, you know, a moraine collapsed and all this granitic material was sent down the mountain and deposited there. So you see volcanics and granite, and it's primarily granite and, and, and quartz. See, it's interesting because I think a lot of people that are not as educated in, you know, the grape growing areas, including myself, think of Lodi as being down on the flats and, you know, just being, you know, Lodi grape growing and right. next to dairies and, right. you know, big feedlots. And in fact, when you get up into these, I won't call them foothills, but you start to gain some elevation where you're speaking of, the soils are completely different. Mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. clay. It's not river bottom. It's... Mm-hmm. Just what you were describing. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty compelling, compelling terroirs in the Lodi. Yeah. ABA, you know, yeah. a, a lot you hear about lately is is the deep sand um, in a limestone in certain areas <clears throat> uh, beneath. But uh, also when you get towards the towards the foothills, there you know there's a lot of metamorphics. That's right under the metamorphic zone, so where the plates meet. There's folding and there's all kinds of stuff. Um, unfortunately, well, there's you know limestone and and limestone metamorphosed marble. Um, there's schists and slates and you know the granite that comes down on top of it, decomposed granite, uh, quartz. Uh, but where they meet is a narrow band, so all this limestone is primarily running in um, vertical. Uh, what do you call it? veins right uh it's not spread out horizontally so um a lot of it is alluvial deposits okay from that stuff that comes down off the mountain and okay. and some of it is you know settled and and composes a lot of the soils in the western uh eastern part of the Lodi IPA. right okay good so good. Borden ranch is pretty pretty cool soils there yeah i'd say pretty exciting it does get warm but you know looking when i go out to sample and when we go to pick you know in the valley in sacramento it might be like 60 62 degrees early in the morning and when we get up to the vineyard it is usually more like mid 50s okay so so it is cooling down at night it does cool down at night and um a lot of that cooling kind of settles there right and it comes in uh, by way of, like, in the Delta where <coughs> it brings in the, the fog in mm-hmm. through the bay. It, it benefits from some of that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, a lot from. of the Lodi AVA gets blasted by that, right. by the marine influence. Right. I know people that live in Sacramento, they're always hoping that during the summer that the fog's coming in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least the Delta breeze. Or is what the, we, or that's what it yeah, is, the, the Delta breeze. The Delta is breeze is what we all... Yeah, and you go a few miles down the road and it's much more, you know, the breeze is much more apparent yeah i thought it was funny this morning bart told me uh craig said to dress warm i said i've never had a person from sacramento tell me to dress warm before <laughs> <laughs> that was the first <laughs> well yeah there's no well or somewhere what's i think we're at 52 degrees yeah. in here right now no it's yeah. nice very comfortable so yeah perfect know, aging what, what is it like here in let's say september 5th on one of those years when it's you know I mean, it gets hot up here, right? I mean, you're so, and you're still harvesting. Very hot. Yeah. Yeah, very hot. 
And what's different? What do you <coughs> got to do differently than you would do like we are in the valley where it's, you know, only in the, you know, high 70s or 80s? Well, we, this big rolling door here, we keep it closed as much as possible. We process either inside or outside. Um, and again, we put insulation in this place. The ceilings are fairly high. Um, Charlie used to run the swamp cooler in the heat, and, and, and we decided to do the opposite. So we have it on a timer instead of a thermostat. So at night in West Sac here, where we back right up against the, uh, the causeway, it's much cooler there. There's no concrete. Um, so it goes, the, we have a big swamp core that only the fan runs and it goes on at midnight and it turns off at 8 a.m. And so it fills this place with 50 degree air. So yeah. that's how we keep this place at about 70 to yeah. 72 degrees, even in the heat. Yeah, this, and then the remember, summer. I mean, all the barrels are tucked away into a climate controlled room. And yeah. so really during right. fermentation, you know, I'm just wondering if it affects your winemaking because when you're talking about fermentation and temperatures, I mean, what are you well, reds we ferment out here. The the whites are all in in fooder and puncheon and barrique and in the climate under climate control. So those mm-hmm. we can keep that room 58 to 60 degrees during all day, all night long during the heat of the summer. Uh, but out here in the main room, like I said, it can be in the 70s in the heat spikes, and you know when you have reds fermenting. You know, that means those are going to easily reach the 80s, low 90s. And then for cap management, you know, things can easily get above 100 degrees in the cap if you're not paying attention. And so we've found out the hard way in 16. We had to totally change our process. Uh, So one of the things we do is we don't ferment uh, any lots bigger than one ton. Right. It's all done in picking bins. Wow. Um and we don't destem anything, and we don't uh, use any commercial yeast. So a combination of those things help regulate the temperature. Right. And you're I, doing uh, Mataro and Syrah, correct? Mataro, Syrah, and, oh, and, Zin. and mm-hmm. three Zinfandels. Three different uh, vineyard yeah. sites. And we added Nebbiolo this year. You were saying that. Where do you find Nebbiolo? Uh, there are five rows of it planted in Clarksburg. Uh-huh. And who, who was, how, well, how did you get a hold of it? It's the, it's the Herringer, the Herringer's farm, that stuff. And I've, you know, they're big in the community and everybody around here knows about them. And so when I had a friend who was working with the, with the vineyard, she said, you should go check it out. So yeah. we did. And we thought, well, we'll just have some fun. Yeah. Ne- uh, Clarksburg Nebbiolo sounds crazy enough. It might actually work. <laughs> uh, well, they grow. I mean, they're, it's more like what they don't grow, right? Um, yeah, there's the herringers, yeah. right? They, yeah, they grow a lot. A they lot of different lot. varieties. Yeah, yeah. So, but we're pretty pretty pleased with the with the Nebbiolo, you know. And as I said earlier, we, it was the, our ripest pick of eighteen twenty three bricks, but a huh. pH of three point one five. Ooh, wow. Yeah. So, we basically just picked it as soon as we could. Yeah. As soon as you had enough alcohol that it would be stable. <laughs> yeah, and we wanted to get through ML, too. So Right, well, yeah, of course. So, again, <laughs> we did the STEM inclusion there, too. But And I'm looking over your shoulder, and I see your laboratory over there. Are you guys doing all your own analysis and stuff in, in-house? And Just 
just pH. Okay. pH um, and um, SO2. Okay. Free SO2. Yeah. And this is this is you, your son, your wife, and your daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. My daughter's at Davis right now, so not not so much. Right. Um, but it's primarily my son and I. Yeah. He's yeah. he's the seller guy. He's been my seller guy for ten years. Okay. Oh. And I couldn't do it without him. So How old is he? He's 28. 28, okay. Yeah, like, I, like to say, we adopted him when I was 12. <laughs> uh, well, then, and then are you... No, we had him young, so I, I vision. I right. knew I was going to need right. somebody right. in the cellar. <laughs> <laughs> Very French. Because <laughs> my back's sore, and it's going to get sore. Yep. Yeah. And who th- are you getting fruit delivered to your door right here, or are you actually going out and doing picking? The smaller lots we pick ourselves. If it's if it's around a ton, many times we go and pick it ourselves. And you like doing that? I do for the first fifteen minutes. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. No, we. Uh, I I do like it. I do. Um, you know, it takes us a bit longer, and we can't really assemble that big of a crew. Um, so that again is usually my wife, my son, and I, and a couple, a couple friends, and uh, we just get it done. Whoever um, will eat for donuts or, or work for donuts. I mean. Yeah, burritos here in my sack. It's burritos. <laughs> well, Sam's got this new idea of this eco tourism. He's going to make tourists come here and pay him to pick grapes. Brilliant. <laughs> no, I don't know how that works. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the <coughs> problem sure is, you is, snap a lot of photos. Yeah. And you need you a lot of people the supervising them. Yeah. It's funny. We've had a couple of pe- people reach out and say, like, hey, I want to intern. You know what? And I'm like, ah, I'd love to have you, but, you know. There's no room. There's no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What is your total case production annually a- on an average? Uh, well, 16, we started out at about 850 cases. For 17, I think we ended up with about 1,200 cases. Hmm. And for 18, we're going to be about 1,600, 1,700 cases. Yeah, everyone took a little jump. And we're just going to keep building that until, you know, we feel it's uh, comfortable. Right. And who's getting your wine out there? Who's selling your wine? Or do you have a distributor? Yeah, we found it at Bottle Barn in Santa Rosa. Yeah. And um, I believe I've seen it at um, Backroom Wines in Napa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Chambers and Chambers. Oh, okay. for California. Gotcha. Okay. I work with a small operation in, in New York that's pretty much just Brooklyn and Lower Manhattan. That's uh, Chris Terrell, who, may, who, who pretty much just imports Georgian wines. Okay. Um, so he gets my wines in front of people who definitely are into oxidative uh, contact contact wine so we have really great it's very small but we have really uh very uh, i think pretty impressive placements in new york and we're about ready to pick up oregon so we're slowly you know doing that that's awesome but we have a couple a couple wines that we can we have access to more fruit so basically we're going to build the what we call our young shin and, and then our california red blend and then the others you know the vineyards are so small we can we can never increase production on those, so we're going to keep those. Right. Those will, those will remain small. And then, and more exclusively for your mailing list and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yep, for the list. And so, do you? Uh, is that how you do it? You just do a, a release letter, I believe. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, no sort of <coughs> wine club or anything. Nope, or? No club. Yeah. We just we have two releases a year. Uh, we send the email out and um, whatever 
the mail list doesn't buy, I sell to to Chambers and Chambers. That's or great. it goes to New York. Right. Yeah. Oh. That's great. What are you doing in your free time when you're not uh, making wine or out there reluctantly picking grapes? <laughs> well, currently, currently I work for Daryl Cordy. So these are the holidays, busy time. You know, he, uh, uh, he, I take off harvest, and so I work for him full time during the holidays. So this time of year, I'm five days a week working for Daryl, and then wow. after, after the first of the year, I'll be back to my. And so you're working the floor, helping helping people. Yeah, pick I'm on the buying. Wine. Yeah, I'm on the buying side. And on the buying and, side. And yeah, and and I put wine in people's hands. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, Daryl's a bit of a legend in uh, the wine business. I mean, I, I don't know that much about him. I just know about the store. But um, he's was a – well, can, can you give us a little bit of background? I, I'm instead of me trying to make it up. Sure. Uh, <laughs> well, he, he keeps to himself. You know, he would he'd be much more visible if he, if he wasn't so reclusive. But his uh, parents owned, uh, you know, grocery store. And so the brothers each opened their own grocery store. So in the 60s, Daryl um, became fascinated with wine and things fermented primarily, I think, at first. So he started the wine program there. So it's basically a wine shop within a grocery store. Right. And that has continued to this day. So that's like and 50 years. Yeah. Um, and more and more food as well, you know. Um like uh, Alice Waters came to him when she was opening Chez Panisse to get advice and to figure out where to source these things that you couldn't really get anywhere else. Mm. Right. So, I mean, it really it kind of, <coughs> would I be wrong to say, kind of started the gourmet grocery right. movement? Yeah, yeah, pretty in, much. In California, in yeah. Northern California? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I and, mean, and back in the day, all these guys would hang out, Ian, Narcy, David, and Alice Waters, and... You know, Joe Heights and, you know, people in the wine biz, people in the food biz, all these, you know, people would would all hang out and party. And a I, lot of I have a friend who uh, f- one of his I think it was his brother in law was very involved with the California wine fair um, wine competition at the fair, you know, the state fair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he used to. That's where I first heard about Daryl Cordy because mm-hmm. he was such a presence um, at that competition. Right. Yeah. Right. And and I sure. and I think many other competitions, wine competitions throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he's very active with UC Davis, and you know, around here people know who he is, and certain people in the business outside of Sacramento know who he is. But he's pretty been pretty influential around here. And do you do you sell your own wine in the store? It's sold there. Yeah, there are a couple yeah. a couple wines on the shelf. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because I was, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm curious, like, what kind of wines you're turning people onto, and and if you had your own wines in there, of course, that'd be a. Well, I sell. I like to sell the Italian wines mostly. White, red, or both. <laughs> <laughs> both. Yeah. yeah. Maybe some of that's the interest of the Nebbiolo, then. Yeah, I just you know, Oro Valley, the Jura, Burgundy, uh, Italy. Sicily, Piemonte. Right. Those are, you know, so many great wines. Those are what you're drinking at home? That's what I drink, yeah. Yeah. That's mm. what I drink mostly. Yeah. And do you think that affects the style of uh, the wines that you make uh, for your sure. brand? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. In what way? Well, you know, more and more we just focus on, on pH and acidity. And um, also more and more 
oxidative white wine making approach. Well, will you explain, because there's a lot of people listen to the show that don't know what that means when you talk about oxidative wines. <clears throat> uh, we do pretty much the opposite of what a lot of folks around here do when they're making white wine, especially. So we get lots of skin uh, and stem contact. We've got to watch the, the pH a bit with the stems, but everything is given a good, a thorough foot tread. Everything, all the whites spend a, a, a bit of time on stems and skins. Uh, some of it we, some of it we de-stem and ferment on skins. Um, and we don't use any dry ice SO2. I mean, uh, uh, CO2 to blanket or protect the juice. So the juice gets pretty oxidized, pretty yep. brown. Yep. Um, and um, we don't when when we rack the juice to to barrel punching etc whatever its its fermentation vessel ends up being we don't we don't gas that vessel and the receivable vessel in any way either so it gets tons of oxygen. So you're not you're not fermenting it on the skins, but you're just giving it some time on the skins to try to extract and mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. get some phenolic compounds mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. incorporated in it. Definitely, definitely. We do rack dirty. We rack off bottom valve, mm-hmm. uh, and so there's no real clean. Uh, part of that is is our is our choice, and part of it also is that we don't have any way to chill the, the right. receivable tank. So right. it's just an overnight ambient cellar temp settle. And then racked dirty off the bottom valve, so we get quite a quite a bit of. And what are some of the challenges with that? Um, <clears throat> well, quite frankly, the biggest challenge we've seen around here is overflowing. <laughs> overflowing barrels. barrels. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. this year we have a uh, a new basket press, and uh, we're getting cleaner cleaner juice than we normally do. We didn't have anything overflow on us right. on us this year. So that's that would say just processing wise that's the major right just that's from the major thing from the solids just making mm-hmm. the fermentations mm-hmm. go yeah oh yeah 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 um after lag phase they just right. erupt right um yeah. so we didn't see that this year uh but no real challenges really that i can yeah. that i can think of i mean there are a few kind of hairy i mean i guess the typical clean or the clean the 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 typical thinking would be like oh there might be um, they might get stinky and stuff and, um, you know, managing those sort of aromas and, um, but that's more of a, just understanding what's going mm-hmm. on. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, all the shins, all the Chenin Blancs get stinky, right? you right. know, and after years of working with this stuff, it's like, oh, it's supposed to get stinky. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you have to be comfortable with it. Yeah. When we first started making wines in this way, I was just beside myself, horrified at how disappointed I, right. I was in them. And then <laughs> and how those am are the, I going to sell them? And those are the wines that people started like noticing and, and really enjoying. And right. so I sp- spend the rest of my time worrying about it. If it doesn't <laughs> get that shin on bonk. If it's funk. too clean. Yeah, if yeah. it's too clean. Yeah. But yeah, and we don't add any, so far we haven't um, added any uh, sulfur at the crusher. Um, and so, but, but, but since it, we're not talking about really cold juice, not really clear juice, usually fermentations kick off fairly quickly mm, right. and are very thorough. But, you know, every once in a while, um, uh, you know, it'll, juice will be sitting in, in the tank with no protection. And 
it's not, you know, there's quite a, quite a long period of time before fermentation kicks off. So sometimes that's, you know, we get a little bit worried. Yeah. We have to taste the juice from the bottom, from the top. Right. Um, yeah. But it does, it comes from knowing what it's going through and knowing, you know, that it's okay right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If it's the same way six days later, then there may be an issue. Mm-hmm. But I found that right. that's never happens. It's you, you start to kind of like go, okay, am I getting concerned yet? Am I getting concerned yet? And then the day that you kind of go, maybe I need to check this out. It all of a sudden you smell it and it's like, ah, CO2, we're good. Yep. You know, yep, it's for just, sure. It's confidence and experience. Exactly. Exactly. And it takes a little, you know, it's not for the faint of heart, you know, right? Because yeah, we see that quite a bit, and and in eighteen, especially every single um, white that we pressed to tank formed um, a nice layer of stuff on the top, and even molding. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and so we might see that with one lot or two in the heat of the summer, but we saw it everywhere this year, and so it was a little hairy in eighteen. But everything fermented beautifully. Everything's dry and yeah. delicious yeah good good i know everyone says the same thing oh, about 18 everyone's just very happy with consistency and quality and it was a year to make good wine that's for sure if, if you couldn't do it in 18 um you might want to check your grape resources or your own winemaking i think yeah yeah so far so good well and how does um have you noticed any changes in the climate here um Annually, like as far as it be, get, being a little bit hotter in the summer, cooler in the summer, colder in the winter time, we just recently been talking on the show about you know there's places that are starting to see dramatic increases and decreases in temperature. I mean, we're talking about places like Champagne and Burgundy mm-hmm. and and in um, and in Italy. I mean, when you're talking about you know grapes grown in certain areas, that things are kind of changing a little bit. Yeah, um, you know, has Napa gotten too hot for Cabernet Sauvignon? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, well, anecdotally, I mean, I think that it probably feels a lot warmer than it is. I mean, it, if you look at the numbers, it, you know, the climates are really are are changing, and but yeah, I think it I think it feels worse than it is. But Usually there are peaks and valleys, and what I've noticed recently, two significant things that I've noticed in the past five years is if foothills are in the mountains, 2,500 feet to 3,000 feet, there's been um, an inversion layer that sets in and does not subside. It'll be weeks and weeks of highs in the 90s, lows in the upper 70s or low 80s. There's no relief where at least anecdotally it seems that there's a much bigger shift at that elevation. Um, that's something I want to look into more. Right. But a couple of years ago was the first time I had noticed it. I mean, you think it's inversion layer due to um, uh, smog and fire, smoke and everything or just... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'd, li- I'd like to know more about that. Yeah. But that's one thing that I've noticed for the foothills. And then in the valley, uh, in 18, I noticed that, uh, you know, last winter it really never got cold. Right. And then the summer never really got hot. Right. But for all of July and part of June and August, it didn't really cool down that much either. Right. So it's been a pretty 
flat, no peaks and valleys really so much for 18 is my, is my uh, yeah. observation. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's why we saw like advanced ripeness at, at lower sugars around here. You know, we were, you know, things are, you know, like rising pHs, uh, brown seed separation, ripe flavors, but 21 bricks. Right. And color, right? Also, you know, for reds, getting color already at those low numbers. Yeah. 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 I'd say so. Yeah. It's funny, Bart, the way the, the way the smoke affects, you know, last year and this year affected certain things. I'll, I'll tell you this thing that was weird. And I don't, I don't know anyone who's like a scientist or anything at the, the restaurant. We have ice buckets that we put out on the floor. <clears throat> and every night you put the ice bucket out. And when you grab them at the end of the night after the shift, they've always, you know, they're, they're the uh, silver ice buckets. They always have the sweat on the outside from the ice being in there all night and starting to melt. And the ice buckets would sweat. And so you'd have this little pool of water in the, in the stand. But for about a week when we had the, the, the worst smoke coming through Sonoma County, that didn't happen for some reason on those nights when I worked those nights the you'd pick up the ice bucket at the end of the night and there wasn't any of that sweat on the outside of the ice bucket the only thing I can think of I mean temperature is the same I mean everything is the same in my world except for us having a ton of smoke ripping through the valley and it just sitting in there and I couldn't think of how that would affect I wonder if maybe some sort of relative humidity has something to do with it I yeah, you know, changed by the smoke, maybe? right? Yeah, some sort. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what any of that barometric maybe, pressure yeah. or any of that kind maybe of stuff. Maybe someone means, out in podcast land can answer. If that If anyone for us. knows, I just thought it was the weirdest thing. Hmm. Um, you know, hmm. it was, yeah, it was almost like. Uh, I'm impressed that you actually noticed that. <laughs> well, when you do something every day, you know, and, and then it it changes, you kind of, you know, got to say, well, what what is it that's different about? what's going on right now and the only thing that was different for that week was just all the smoke hanging out um so a, yeah yeah i didn't know if you i thought maybe one of you guys would be like oh yeah when there's a lot maybe of smoke you had a, then <laughs> maybe you had new staff and they weren't putting ice in the bucket no no <laughs> <laughs> yeah right that's right <laughs> it's got to be the simplest explanation <clears throat> of something stupid they're they're poured a little salt in there or something for right. some reason i don't know yeah so uh, uh, what's going on in the winery right now? You're working at Cordy Brothers, and that's got you busy, but everything's uh, just kind of topping barrels and maintaining mm -hmm. things. Um, yep. When will you do a bottling, your first bottling? Uh, we are planning our first bottling right now. Our young, our young Shannon, uh that we call it, is our large lot that spends uh, less time uh, in barrel. That's the one we typically bottle in February or March, but we're going to probably bottle it a bit earlier now just because the 17 vintage is, uh, is drying up right now. So oh, that's a good thing. To yeah, happen. it's a good, yeah. yeah, it's great. The marketing department is deciding when the bottling is. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's and it such an internal like conflict. <laughs> it looks like you do bottling here. Yeah, we do bottle here. Nice. Yep. Yeah, Everybody, so you don't have to call in one of the trucks. Well, my wife has been begging me like last you know, last year she said, okay, this is going to be 17 is the last time we're going to do this <laughs> by hand. So we, we have a couple of gravity fillers and some labor and we can pretty easily bottle 400 cases in a day by hand. That's not bad. Which is pretty, yeah, I'm proud that we're 
streamlined enough to, yeah. to yeah. accomplish that. Yeah. And people will come back the next day and still help. Yeah. And it doesn't really take, Oh, <laughs> Gotta well, feed them <laughs> oh, burritos. <laughs> well, burritos. for, for yeah. 17, four, 400 cases was our, that was our biggest lot. Okay. So yeah. it's only one day. Yeah. So I only, I only need to fake people out for one day. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and, and last year my wife said, you know, it's, in 18 for the 18 vintage we're getting the truck there's no way we're doing this on our own well i think we're gonna do it again on our own (laughs) yeah i know well that's tough though because you're not i mean you're not bottling everything on the same day so you'd have to have that truck come back periodically right and to do small numbers like that because most people can i mean where we are people can get together and share a truck or share a bottling (coughs) line Mm -hmm. i mean um but you're well the small lot stuff is piece of cake my son and i just just knock it out. Yeah, if we have we have like one and two ton lots, and that's the two of us can easily knock that out. Yeah, turn up the music and exactly. put your head down. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's easy. It's just the one. It's just the large Chenin Blanc that that is that is okay. The, is that the your top selling wine? Yeah, that's that's our driver wine. Huh. That's kind of what we very first started with about almost ten years ago. Right. And it's it's the uh, vineyard. It's most sizable. We have access to more fruit. Um, so that's the one that we are recognized for and what mm. we're selling. And we can keep the price low, especially if we're not paying a bottling truck. And we store right. it small enough to where we can store it all here so we don't have any storage fees. Yeah. So we can keep the shelf price under $20. Yeah. And that's awesome. um, give a disc, you know have some btg pricing and so it's it's building nicely yeah that's awesome i you know i um in 16 my first shenan from uh mendocino county and uh, the grape prices were slightly higher than the um clarksburg fruit and um it's funny people reacted to uh the fact that it wasn't under twenty dollars and um Hmm. Uh, well but maybe it's just who I'm. Who I mean, I'm it's not like to. you just make stuff up. I mean, you, right. there's a re- <laughs> there's a reason you charge what you charge, right? It's uh... yeah, and a lot of folks that buy wine. I hesitate to call them consumers because I like to say I, I don't make wine for consumers. Who do you make wine for? I make I make wine for people who enjoy wine. Yeah, you know, and plus, I just don't like the idea of consumerism and i think that the people that we want to get excited about these wines and to buy these wines and drink these wines you know should be called something other than just merely a consumer yeah here here yeah so again we like to add as much value to this wine uh, as possible so it's responsible farming sustainable farming it's responsible winemaking it's all made by hand like I said, we touch all this fruit. You know, this is very much just a very small family project. And, and that's what makes it authentic. And that's that's what <coughs> makes it why people should go out and look for it and, and try to find it. You know, it's it's not everywhere, but it's very attainable. <laughs> and so that's what we're trying to do here is trying to raise people's um, awareness that there's a lot of guys like you out here. <laughs> um, and so ho- hopefully, hopefully some people will... Uh, We'll get a hold of you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, the wines, the both these wines are delicious. Um, Brian, you have any thoughts yeah, on them? Yeah, yeah, no the um, the the first Chenin Blanc, the Shiner, 
I absolutely love. I mean, the acidity on it is amazing. You know, I'm into acid. And, um, I drink primarily white wines. Very probably ninety percent of wines that I drink are whites. And um, and becoming a lover of Chenin Blanc through Bart um, started buying it whenever I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's how I got a hold of yours. Just cool. Love the balance of that acidity and the honey flavors and the stone fruit. And I mean, it's just yeah. That's one thing about uh, warm climate potential for Chenin Blanc is it, it you know it doesn't have to be this one-dimensional razor sharp uh thing right you yeah. know, that a lot of people expect right. those wines are fine yeah. um they're usually great values right but I think that potential for Chenin Blanc it, it does so many other other things it has more than just fruit and acid right you know it can have it, texture and that's the thing where you have to <clears throat> sometimes draw that out of the wine and I think by doing what you're talking about with skin contact and how you're fermenting it and aging it um, Mm -hmm. leads to that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it's simple to make a stainless steel, you know, lemony fruit and Mm -hmm. strong acid Chenin Blanc. Mm -hmm. Um, But these are, these are compelling wines to me. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. And they're clean. It's not like we're beating them up and really changing them. Right. You know, purity. Yeah. Yeah. Although we foot tread them. You know, it's not like it spends a ton of time on skins. Right. And uh, I always ask whose feet. Those are yours and uh, your son's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, And my wife, my, my wife does some foot treading as well. Okay. <laughs> There's something really comforting about treading grapes. I've never done it personally, <clears throat> no. I always just know I, uh, there's some people, you know, when I ask who, who did the treading and they tell me, oh, that guy right there. And I look at the guy and go, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really want to know that. <laughs> well, we're, we're in a pinch in 16. We uh, normally will we'll pick over several days uh, just to visit different parts of the vineyards and just get wine, grapes of different chemistry. And, um, but in 16, we were forced to pick everything on one day. So, wow. or, or this one, sh- the one Shannon, or a larger lot. And what was it? Six tons or something like that? Five tons? And, you know, that's not a whole lot. But um, the bottleneck at the time was the press. We could only fit a bin and a half or so in that in that little press oh, wow. and um we needed to get everything done quickly and so the, the bottleneck was that and the foot treading so we just called my daughter brought her some friends over and yeah it was knocked at a treading quickly. party yeah basically <laughs> craig are these wines um <coughs> filtered no, they're not. Yeah, they're they're. I mean, they're incredibly clean yep. and um, well done. Um, I it's um, they, they it's hard to tell that they're not. And if mm-hmm, you're in the mm-hmm. light, maybe if we're outside, it'd be more obvious. Mm-hmm. But um, I love the fact that you're able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any secret technique that you like to uh, that you'd like to share? I know Dave Ramey gave us when we had him. He talked about you know how he uses a little bit of bentonite and a little bit of casein and a little bit of gelatin. Um, right? Are you uh, are you a little more just? Uh, no, we don't do any fining either. Yeah. Um. And the the sixteen the crushy shin that you 
we have in our glasses now, the 17 uh, is pretty clear compared to the 16. The 16 was a little hazy. Mm -hmm. um, we, But I would rather just present it that way than to filter or find out anything. I yeah. just don't. I'm just opposed to... You know, they change. They're different. And, you know, we make 100 cases of it. So, yeah. you know, it's not like it's going to sit on... Uh, a store shelf of a big grocery store and people are going to want consistency year to year. Right, right. So, yeah. And that's good because it doesn't really fit into our philosophy on Absolutely. On winemaking. Absolutely. Yeah, But these awesome. all fall, these all fall pretty clear and I can't, I can't really explain it because we don't really do anything right. to encourage that. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, well, it's usually, they, they spend almost a year in, in barrel on gross lees. Right. And it's just a matter of if you're stirring, um, knowing when to stop stirring and giving them plenty of time <coughs> to settle down. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, when I worked at Benziger, we used to always say, well, we rack on the new moon. And so, therefore, the most gravitational pull is how hmm. we get them so mm -hmm. clean. Mm -hmm. um, that was the biodynamic you mm -hmm. know, spin. And, sure. Um, but I, I think it's just time. It's just allowing the wines to rest and leaving them alone. Sure. Yeah, and we don't do any stirring either. So... You know, like we can go visit some some barrels here later, and they're already clarifying pretty yeah. pretty nicely. Yeah. Uh, the see, only time see, we do filter is with the young the young shin, and um, since we bottle it so young, um, it doesn't always fall clear. Um, but if it doesn't finish ML, that's really the only time right. we filter. Right. Hmm. Right. Just so it's stable in the stable in the bottle. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right, well, if people want to get a hold of your wines, they can hit your uh, website. Is harmeyerwines.com? Is that harmeyerwinecellars.com. Harmeyerwinecellars.com. Yep. Um, and can you spell um, your last name, Sure. Please? It's, it's H-A-A-R-M-E-Y-E-R. Harmeyer with two A's. So yep. harmeyerwinecellars.com. We have a couple things still available on, on the website. And then in um, Chambers and Chambers does have the wines all around the state of California. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then New York. And New York as well. Yeah. Great. So Chamber Street Wine Merchants, Flatiron on both coasts. Yep. Um, June Wine Bar in Brooklyn just picked up our Rorick Zinfandel. Great. That they're doing by the glass, which is fantastic. Yeah. That's Places awesome. like that, Henry's in Brooklyn, uh, Leon and Son. In Clinton Hill, those are some good spots. Many others too. I can't remember them all. Yeah, but we're um, in some pretty good spots. Southern California and the Bay Area. And so, uh, folks, you can certainly. Uh, this is a, a four-person shop here: the mom, dad, the son, and the daughter. I'm sure if you send an email or were to call a phone number, you're going to get someone. Um, you're not going to get a recording. Uh, you're not going to get a, a marketing person. So if you have questions, <laughs> uh, reach out for Craig and his family. Craig's also uh, very active on Instagram and uh, probably Instagram more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Twitter and Instagram, yeah. that's how we sell this stuff. Yeah, so check it out and um, give the wines a, a try. They're, uh, they're well worth uh, uh, getting them in your glass and sharing them with some friends. Yes, yes. Cool. I really enjoyed the wines, and I like. I actually really like your setup here. We I mean, dig it. We're really comfortable here. Yeah, 
I mean, I've been to, you know, some custom crush pad facilities and whatnot, but you've, you know, you just got a lot of action going around with different people doing different stuff at different times. And this is kind of nice. It's kind of like having your own little yep. house where you, when you come home, when well, you leave, when you leave in the morning, you come home at night, things are in the same place. They yep. were pretty much. Yep. Yeah. And it's got yep. some soul to it. And right. we like wines with soul. That's true. Yep. Great yeah. history here. Yeah. No A kidding. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put some really cool pictures that we took, um, on uh on instagram and also on the uh, facebook page so yeah. all right bart any awesome. uh shout outs you want to get out for this uh for this week uh no i you know i mean thanks to everybody out there in podcast land that continues to support us and um whether it's sharing the uh sharing the posts or contacting us directly and buying some wine uh we we, we love it it was it, we never really kind of talked about the fact that we might actually sam and i that we might actually sell some wine ourselves from doing this you know, mm -hmm. for me, it's it's capturing some history and trying to spread the name of some other people that work real hard at the business. And yep. so uh, everybody listening, we appreciate it. We'd love to have you go to iTunes and maybe give us a review um, <clears throat> that helps just spread the spread it, the word more for everybody. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, drink more Shannon Blanc is what I would say. Drink Shannon. Hella Shannon. Hella Shannon. Shannon exactly right. And um that's what I would say. I've found for the holidays, Chenin Blanc to be perfect, uh, as a matter of fact. So, yeah, we got, I mean, we got Christmas coming up. Um, drink a little Chenin. Uh, I'd say, you know, get a case from uh, from uh, Harmeyer and a case from uh, Dane Sellers, and mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. got a party. <laughs> yeah. Brush yeah. with it. Put it in your coffee. There. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I love it. So, and Craig, uh, one last thing. What will be your next uh, uh, release? So if we get people to sign up on your mailing list, when would they see your next release? We're going to release our first uh, Wilson Vineyard designated Chenin Blanc, the one that we ferment in an oval. Yep. That's nice and reductive. Nice burnt match. And, and when will that be? Spring? That'll be in the spring. Okay. And we're also going to release our tiny lot, Shannon, oldest producing Shannon Blanc in the foothills. Yeah, yeah, We call yeah, it the yeah. iris. It's tiny. We only have a couple cases for the mailing list. Uh, and that is definitely, I would say, not to be missed. And then we're going to have some very low-alcohol, light-bodied uh, Zinfandels oh, cool. as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. And those are um, foothill um, Zins? Uh, Calaveras County yep. and Lodi. And when you say low alcohol, you mean like 11%? 11 and a half. 11 and a half. 12. Yeah. Uh, awesome. In that, in that neighborhood. Yeah. And what sort of acid and pH are you looking at in those wines? Um, or, finished pH is probably around three, four. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We'll have to, have to check those yeah, out. Yeah. Good stuff. Tons of tannin, not a lot of color. Yeah. Not your uh not your typical California Zinfandel. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Well Bart, right. we need to come back up to uh to West Sac. Yep, we do. Find out where the uh best burrito place is. Well not just that, I want to go to this store too. Oh, okay. Well we'll plan it. Yeah. Plan it. Been right. trying Sounds to good. I've been trying to get Tegan to invite us out to the meat market and uh, record him up there. I, yeah, I yeah. assume you've seen that. I have. Yeah. Is it? Did he do any fruit there this year? No, no. no. But it's funny. He's been talking about it for years. You yeah. Know? We drive by and he talk about it, and you know he looks around at a lot of places. I'm like, ah, you're not going to do that. You're in that place. <laughs> like, ah, okay. It's exciting. Yeah. yeah. It's a Quonset hut. 
Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember <laughs> hearing about yeah. this. Yeah, okay, so he's yeah. been working on it a bit, just structurally, you know, just getting the place yeah, dialed cool. in. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, cool. um, Craig, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, and, thank uh, you for opening up the doors. Absolutely, yeah. anytime. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Awesome. Cheers. And, All right. Uh, cheers. And uh, we'll we'll get with uh, Sam Katuri and uh, John Myers uh, next week. I think um, Bart and I are. We're, we're going to have uh, Tim Wallace from uh, the previous president at Benziger Family Winery. Who went to Brown um, and Harvard. Went to Brown, who Harvard. I, I always tell him. <laughs> I say, and, I'll listen to whatever you say. You went to Brown and Harvard. <laughs> and he is the executive on um, executive on staff at Sonoma State University for their wine right. um, business program. So, And I know we're wearing down Phil Katuri. We're going to get him on um, for at least one show, maybe a couple. Yeah. And, um, and actually put him in front of a microphone. Um, so that'll be fun. Yeah, so Answering the questions you want to ask. That's right. Um, thank you for listening to The Winemakers. Um, give us a review. Uh, check us out on our Facebook page or on Instagram. And we'll look forward to uh, talking to you next week. Thanks. <laughs>